Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. Bellerín, otro defensor, otro disparo, Monreal, gol. Marca el futbolista español, marca Nacho Monreal. Pim, pam, pum. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. James, goodly evening to you. The time zones are still affecting us very slightly in terms of our recording time. It's Tuesday evening, and uh, yeah, I'm back in. I'm back in the this side of the equator. I mean, I'm impressed. You know, whether it's day or night, you must feel a, a little bit disorientated. How long have you actually been landed uh, over in Ireland? Uh, I got here about. Uh, half six this morning, something like that. So I've been awake ever since, but I left Sydney at, well, I guess, you know, I think the flight took off at half four Sydney time on Monday, which would have been whatever time that was, half four or five in the morning or something, um, Irish UK time. And I did have a little bit of a sleep. Thankfully, the plane from Sydney to Abu Dhabi uh, it was one of those big ones, so you've got three seats, four seats, and three seats, uh, and I had three seats all to myself, so that was quite good. So I slept for a little bit there, and uh, slept for a little bit on the plane back from uh, Abu Dhabi to Dublin. Um, but, you know, I'm I'm a bit sleep-deprived, I have to say. So if my mind wanders, or if I'm not quite as sharp and insightful and incisive and erudite and intelligent and smart and brilliant as I normally am, you'll, you'll have to forgive me uh, I, I will and if if I'm the same I deserve nothing but your anger <laughs> <laughs> okay it's all writing it's all writing on you did you see the football supporters federation awards came out did you see that Oh, no, I didn't. I've been uh, yeah. working all day. Tell me what yeah. happened. Well, we're nominated for Best Club Podcast in the Football Supporters oh. Federation um, Awards. Now, normally it would be one of those things where we could say to people, go and go and vote for Arsblog, go and vote for the Arscast, but you can't vote for it, unfortunately, because it's uh, one of the awards that's going to be decided by uh, the uh, Football Supporters Federation themselves. So, oh. yeah, so you can go to damn, their site. You damn, can, Yeah, I know, yeah. We could have mobilized the troops and everything, but... Uh, yeah, we're going to very powerful. We win. We win all the votes. Exactly. Arsenal generally in a goal of the season. Whatever yeah. you want. Normally. Did you see that Nacho Monreal as uh, was today awarded? Now, hang on. I think this is the important thing that we've got to uh, we've got to get in, uh, into this. Nacho Monreal has been voted the Professional Footballers Association Bristol Street Motors Player of the Month for October. Bristol wow. Street Motors. I mean, it does not get more prestigious than that, does it? I think that's pretty much the highest individual honour in football. I think the Ballon d'Or is nothing compared to the Bristol Street Movers, Street Movers uh, Player of the Month award. I mean, how has that happened? I am guessing that, uh, you know, Arsenal Twitter uh, did their thing and um, Monreal got lots of votes. And Bristol okay, Street Motors, you know what? It's not even in Bristol. 
I just looked it up. It's not in Bristol. It's oh, in, I see. It's on a street called Bristol Street. Yeah. It's just not in Bristol. Is it's, that correct? Yeah, it's in Birmingham. They're, apparently, they're a Ford dealer of some kind. Well, they do seem to do some local cars as well. I mean, they've got new cars. Oh, they've got all kinds of cars here. Convertibles, estates, hatchbacks, coupes, uh, saloons. I mean, what more could you want? Sports cars, MPVs, whatever they are. What's that? Multi-per- multi-person vehicle? I don't know. What am I, a car expert? Or something. I don't know. Exactly. This isn't a car podcast. But congratulations, Natural Rail. Unsung for so long. I think he might have been sung a bit too loud on this occasion. Yes. But there you go. There you go. Um, yeah, so so there you are. Uh, well done to him and well done to, uh, uh, I don't know, who else could we say well done to today? Is there anybody you could think that we could give some congratulations to? Well, I don't want to waste you for it. your nomination, of course. For well, the, us, for the James, us for our nomination. Oh, it's, very, it's, you know, very it's, generous. It's, yes, no, of course. Uh, um, congratulations. I don't know. Congratulations to... Uh, I mean, you can't really congratulate the fans of West Ham, can you, on having David Moyes appointed as their new manager? That's not been no. a great day for them, by any shakes. No, that seems that seems a bit unfortunate. I mean, it's not that I have any great sympathy or anything like that, but, uh, I mean, wow, what an appointment. Slavin Bilic to <laughs> David Moyes. Um, yeah, we're playing them quite soon, aren't we? He's going to do something, like, ridiculous, isn't he, David Moyes? He's going to do something ridiculous, like get West Ham relegated, but the only games he wins are against Arsenal. That's what's going to happen. Mm, yeah, it's beginning to feel that way, isn't it? Uh, but, you know, I mean, I, I would say it's good to see him back in the game, but it's not, so I won't. <laughs> Yes, it is. It isn't that good at all. Um, so look, uh, let's uh, let's talk, will we? Let's talk. I know we're we're sort of a bit behind the times here. Normally, it will be fresh in our memories and everything else, but we've got to talk about this uh, this game that happened on Sunday. When did it happen? It was I mean, again. I forgive you for not knowing what day is what and what time is what, but it was Sunday. Uh, it was you know lunchtime, sort of kind of two o'clock, ah, half okay. past two, maybe right. Well, late to lunch. Yeah, it was it was one o'clock in the morning in Sydney uh, on Monday or one fifteen, something like that. So I had to I had to watch it um, via a login that the uh, the very nice people at Optus Sport, who have the Premier League rights in Australia, they gave me a login for their service, so I was able to I was able to watch it via the uh, the hotel Wi-Fi, which was considerably better in Sydney than it was in Melbourne, um, and uh, I kind of. Lay there on my bed and uh, and watched it. And uh, did you manage yeah. to survive the whole thing? Did you stay up till whatever it was three a.m. to I did. see the whole yeah. game unfold? That's I watched. Impressive. I watched the whole thing the whole way through. And uh, you know, I thought, you know, maybe maybe we can make a an incredible comeback here in the last ten minutes. I didn't think that once actually. Not once did I think <laughs> that. I just <laughs> I just said to myself, you should. You've committed to this long. You know, you've stayed up this late. You should just watch the whole thing, just in case something happens. But it didn't. It didn't really. Were there not nine minutes where you briefly believed when uh, Lacazette brought it back to 2-1? There was yeah. nine minutes of grace, wasn't it, before uh, Gabriel Jesus made it 3-1? Well, yeah. That, you know, that was, that, was the, that was the fun bit of the game for me. That, that was when I was like, hey... You never know. We could pull this off. We you, could get Look, a at 2-1, you just don't know. I don't think there was any question. There was certainly no question in my mind as to who was the better side on the day. I think it was very obviously Manchester City. They uh, Had they not been so wasteful, 
Had Petr Cech not mm. made some saves, I think we could have been on the end of a real, a real pounding. But when it is 2-1... You're thinking, well, you know, we've just got a goal back. Maybe they'll be a little bit shaken by that. And then, of course, it, it didn't last. But I guess we'll uh, we'll deal with the issues and deal with the goals and the contentiousness of some of them um, in a few minutes' time. But let's start with the with the lineup, the starting lineup. Um, I, you know, I have to give some credit to the boys who run the uh, the Arsenal Twitter account. I mean, I could see why <laughs> I could see why they did what they did when they announced the team. They announced it as a back four with Coquelin like at the base of the midfield with, with Xhaka and Ramsey, and you could see with the absences why that would make sense. But they saved themselves one hour of Twitter mayhem and meltdown because imagine yeah. what would have happened if they put that formation out there with Coquelin in the back three. That would have, it would have just been like, nah, fuck it, I quit. I can't do it anymore, I'm gone. Yeah, I think I think that was fair enough, really. I think Sky had it pretty early. They were saying, look, we believe this is a back three or, or a back five, depending mm. on how you look at it. Uh, but Arsenal.com, yeah, didn't go in for that. And I think, you know, we can all sympathise with them there. It just would have been an absolute <laughs> shitstorm if they'd announced. Yeah, it's Cogland sent up. I mean, uh, it, you know, at the time we didn't necessarily know that Mertzaka was ill or that Rob Holding had a hamstring strain. But well, we kind anyone of, who watched yeah. go on, sorry. the Europa League, anyone who watched the Europa League game on Thursday was not expecting Francis Coquelin after that performance to be in the team to face Manchester City at the weekend. No, no. It would be fair to say he didn't have a great game in, in the Europa League. I mean, he wasn't alone, but he, you know, he kind of stood out a bit in, in how poor he was in that particular game. And look, you, you knew that he wasn't picking Coquelin because he looked at Mertesacker and Holding and went, you know what, I think uh, I think the guy that played like that on Thursday, he's the guy I want to anchor my defence uh, against the best team yeah. in the league. You know, I, I, I understood kind of why he was in the team. But I, I guess the other question, right, there's two questions I have. One is that Mohamed Elneny has been playing in that position in the Europa League and in the Carabao Cup and played there in pre-season as well, I believe. Uh, I believe. I, I remember him playing there. So question one is like, if Elneny has been doing that, why wouldn't you pick Elneny to do that again? You know, given that you're in a hole, given that you don't have much in the way of options, why wouldn't you pick Elneny to do it? And the second question I have is maybe, you know, if you are that short on options, why don't you go for an actual back four and put the extra man in midfield? And could that extra man again not be on any? Could it be, uh, could it have been a Wobi and, and you play Lacazette and we'll come to Lacazette? You could play maybe a Wobi deeper in the midfield or, or you could play, you know, it was, it was a strange decision all in all. Yeah, I think... Th- the strangest aspect, I think, is not adopting that back four, given that, you know, you have players there who are accustomed to playing in a back four. Maybe there was some concern about Monreal. You know, he's not um, he's not a centre-half who's played much in a four. He's generally played in the centre in a three. So he thought maybe Monreal Koscielny wasn't a, a partnership he was happy to bank on. But mm. I, I, I was surprised by it. I mean, I, the sense of playing El Nene in the back three... It's generally against opposition where Arsenal thinks we're going to have a lot of the ball. So he's in there for his ball playing mm. qualities. Um, whereas Cochrane, I suppose, is maybe a more natural defender of the two players. 
But it, it is odd, isn't it, to spend real time developing a central midfielder, the ability to play at centre-half, and then in a situation where you actually yeah. need an emergency centre-half, go for another midfielder who is woefully out of form. Yeah, well, look, you know, and uh, before anyone gets uh, on our backs about being critical of Coquelin, I think, to be fair to him, he did as well as you could expect in that, yeah. in those circumstances and in that position, given he'd never played there before. I don't think uh, he did too badly at all. I mean, it's not ideal... Uh, and and uh, I think he, you know, he found it a little bit difficult at times. But generally speaking, I don't think he did himself any dis, uh, disservice or, or or anything like that. You know, he tried his best, and then when we needed to sacrifice a player to bring on an attacker, he was he was that guy. Which again, you know, you wonder about the team selection. So we come to that. Then we come to the front three, and that to me was. A bigger surprise, to be perfectly honest, because I could see if he's picking Coquelin in a back three, then there's there's reasons for it. His his other his other defenders are gone, as Holding and Mertesacker were. But to drop Lacazette, having seen what they could do, that trio, what they did against Everton, I mean, what could you make any sense of that? The only thing I can think really is that Arsene Wenger kind of doesn't trust. To Meza Ozil and Alexis Sanchez defensively in those inside forward game, you know he didn't have them against Chelsea by necessity and kind of benefited from that. And I want concerns. You know, if I play Lacazette and then I play two guys in Alexis and Ozil who are prone to wander behind him, my two-man midfield exposed. So he didn't want to have a team without Alexis because he knows. He's the guy most likely to get a goal out of nothing. So he put him in at the top of the pitch where he's kind of devoid of certain responsibilities apart from pressing, which he didn't do too badly at. I mean, look, I would have started Lacazette, don't get me wrong, but that must have been the rationale for Arsene Wenger. Um, But yeah, to be honest, Lacazette wouldn't necessarily have been the man of those three to make way for me if you had to drop somebody from, from, from that trio. So if you were going to drop somebody from that trio and put yourself in the position where you're pre-game and not post-game when we saw, you know, a fairly wasteful mm. performance from Alexis Sanchez, would it have been Mesut Ozil mm. to, to make way? If you were going to bring Iwobi in to give you a bit more work defensively, would it have been uh, Ozil to make way? Yeah, it would have been for me. If I, if I was... Uh, going to have to lose one of those three it would have been just because I think Lacazette is so efficient uh, in terms of his use of the ball I think and, and when he gets a chance generally you fancy him to, to make the most of it as he did when he came off the bench and I think Alexis is that wild card you know he gives you that X factor and as as disappointing as Alexis was on the day you know I think of the way he fashioned that chance for Ramsey right towards the end of the first half he was probably still involved in some of our brighter moments and invariably he will be so yeah it would have been Ozil for me I mean but maybe I but would you would you have started started all three yeah would you have started all three started all three yeah probably if I felt that I could get them to play (laughs) under instruction which uh you know that's the manager's responsibility if you've got a situation where the manager thinks well these players are too big they won't listen to my tactical plan I think that's as much an indictment of the manager as it is the player. Yeah, but still, I mean, the three of them worked very well against Everton, and I know that Manchester City are a very different Mm. proposition. Um, 
But, I, you know, I think I would have gone for it, to be honest. You know, particularly given that we were weaker at the back, the only way to offset that weakness at the back was to make ourselves as strong as possible up front. And, you know, I'm not saying City are are weak defensively, but if they do have a weak spot, that's where it is. Um, I thought it was very interesting, um, and it has been very interesting this season, to see the, the way that John Stones has developed um, mm. as a player um, under Guardiola because, you know, he was written off almost at times last season and people say, oh, 50 million for John Stones. But, you know, you can kind of see why there's, uh, you know, people have spent or they spent that much money on a player like him. I thought he was a, he was really outstanding. I'm not sure we gave him that much to deal with, but on the ball, he was he was so calm. But they do have uh, a little bit of weakness there. You know, Otamendi, I think he's better than people give him credit for, but, you know, has been a bit uh, error prone in the past. Fabian Delph at left back, again, decent player. But if you can can't get at Fabian Delph, a guy, a midfielder playing out of position. You know, th- those are weak spots, and that, that's where I think perhaps uh, he got his selection wrong. That if you are, if you're bringing in a Wobi to give you a bit more defensive stability, you know, that's that's on the basis that you've already got the defensive platform that you want, which we don't have, and didn't have with Cockerland there, and we didn't have with um, you know with our midfield. I don't think either. So. Yeah, I was I was very surprised by that. I think I think you you have to look at the reasons or or, or really question why you're not starting your fifty million pound record signing in the big games away from home. I mean, do you said you don't think he trusts Ozil and Sanchez to do their defensive duty, but mm. does it also suggest that he doesn't necessarily trust Lacazette in a big game? Or I don't know. I don't know. And if you're that player, I think it must be really frustrating. I mean, it's not like uh, the old days, the old days when we were in the Champions League and there were kind of big games every mm. other week to play. These Premier League matches against the kind of top four or top six, they are the big games for Lacazette this season. That's as big as it gets. And he's not playing them. He didn't play at Anfield. He didn't play at Manchester City. I mean, I know he played at Chelsea, but he, he's very disappointed by that. And yeah, I, I, it's difficult to see really what more he could have done, isn't it? I mean, he's kind of scored goals when the opportunities have come his way. Uh, he's imposed himself on games increasingly as the weeks have gone on. He's adapting, I think, visibly to the physical demands. I, yeah, I think he was really, really unfortunate not to play. And telling, wasn't it, the impact he made almost as soon as he did come on. Yeah, he comes on and he scores. Because we've got a striker, we've got somebody who's got movement, we've got somebody who's got finishing ability, and we looked, you know, dangerous in that moment. It was probably, apart from the Ramsey chance towards the end of the first half, that was the most dangerous we'd looked during the game, you know, and you think, you know, does it change the momentum? Does it change the the way that the game goes if you've got that guy in from the start? I think it really does, to be honest. Um, we might touch on Alexis and Ozil a, a little bit later on, but let's go through the goals. The first one, I know I know that uh, De Bruyne ran off Ramsey a little bit too easily, but could Koscielny have yeah. got closer? Could Czech have done better? What What do you think? Just Or just a good goal? Uh, yeah, I mean, look, Czech made a good save shortly before the goal hit the net. Um, I think that Koscielny should have got up to close to Bruno down quicker. I think Ramsey let him run off his shoulder very. But as a rule, I think it was a, a nice little neat bit of play and a, a pretty 
pretty good finish, to be honest. I mm. that's I know that I've seen Jack take some criticism for it. For me, it's it's, it's in the corner, really. I, I I don't necessarily expect my goalkeeper to make that save. Mm, he got something to it. It was just that he didn't get quite enough to it, and. Look, I think he made some some very, very good saves. I think there was one in the second half from uh, Gabriel Jesus, which was uh, an outstanding piece of goalkeeping, a really brilliant save, the way he threw himself down. And it was the way that he actually threw himself to the ground and uh, and, and made the save that, that made it so impressive. Um, so, you know, we didn't... He did well to uh, prevent a Laurent Koscielny own goal as well, I thought, in the first... Was that in the first half? You know, he was, he was quite brave and mm. oh, made a yeah, decent yeah, yeah. block there. So... Yeah, I, I, you know, I, what what was your impression of that opening City goal? Good goal or, or bad defending or a bit of both? A, a bit of both, really. I think um, you know the, uh, you know, it wasn't it wasn't particularly um, it wasn't anything that you. Oh God, what am I trying to say here? Sorry, my brain is not working. It was just a simple one too. That's all it was. It, it shouldn't be yeah. that difficult to deal with it when you've got a player like De Bruyne who is that dangerous. I think you need to be aware that. You know, if he does run off the midfielder, then you need to close him down as quickly as possible. I'm not sure we did. And I, I did think at the time maybe Czech could have done a little bit better, but, you know, maybe you have to give credit for uh, for a good finish. Um, so that brings. I thought we were quite lucky maybe to, to not to concede more in that first half, I must yeah. say. I mean, there were two. Two City goals, weren't there? Two City crosses that fizzed right across the goal. Any kind of touch would have taken them in. And Raheem Sterling royally screwed up that counter-attack as well when a simple pass would have put something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was a, there was also the talk about the uh, Kolasinac uh, push in the back, which I don't think... I didn't think there was much in that, to be honest. I watched that and I watched the replays of that and I don't think uh, Kolasinac yeah, did too much. Too much. Uh, it wasn't really obvious anyway. But uh, Sterling did get a penalty uh, very early in the second second half um I, I'm gonna I'm gonna maybe annoy people here uh, at first I thought it was really soft having watched it numerous times I think it's a penalty and my yardstick for this is if it happened up the other end would I be furious if we didn't get that penalty or would I be sort of uh, okay I'll take it you know I'll take it but you know oof. And I think I would have been angry if that had happened up the other end and we hadn't got a penalty. I think I think it's a penalty. Yeah, I, what I think about it is I think it's a foul and you probably don't think too much of it being a foul in, in any other part of the pitch. I think in the penalty box, those coming together, you often see them happen without a penalty being given. I think that's maybe why um, there's been a bit of a sort of uproar about the decision because... I think that refs let those go sometimes. They see it as kind of six of one, half a dozen of the other. Mm. But the way Morial puts his shoulder across, I mean, the speed that Sterling's travelling at, I'm sure, you know, in his mind, he's thinking, well, here is an opportunity to go to ground. But effectively, he's taken him off balance, hasn't he? So, yeah, I think I, think I come down on your side on, on that refereeing decision. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's annoying. And Arsene Wenger referred to Raheem Sterling as a... As a diver afterwards, and I think, uh, you know, I, look, it's not that he's never dived and he has been prone to the odd tumble here and there, but then that, so are many footballers. Um, and I, I can understand Wenger's frustration, but I think he's you know, I think he's off the mark on this one a little bit. You know, I'm not, I'm not here to defend Raheem Sterling, but I think if you're going to go hard after divers, he's not the... 
he's not the main guy and really you know if it if that incident had happened up the other end and we didn't get a penalty Arsene Wenger would be the first guy to say that we should have had the the spot kick there's no way he would have come out the other side and said, well, no, actually, you know, like I said, or Ozil or Alexis Sanchez, it was a dive and it was a generous decision. No way. He would be fuming if we didn't get that penalty up the other end. Um, yeah. So, again, people talk about Petr Cech and his, uh, his, his inability to save penalties. You know... Uh, I get it, but like... I mean, I don't think anyone can save that penalty, can they? I mean, it's in No, no, in off the post, exactly. I mean, it was like half an inch away from a miss. Um, So there was literally no way. I mean, he didn't go the right way. I don't think that's here or there, to be perfectly honest. I mean, my issue with it is, uh, you know, people people say, well, Czech has never saved a penalty in all the penalties that he's faced during his time at Arsenal. And the issue for me is all the penalties. Not necessarily Petr Cech. I mean, we fucking give away a lot of penalties. Yeah, we do. And, and actually, the defending wasn't great in the build-up to the... Probably kind of the build-up to the penalty. It was a relatively simple ball over the top. We got the offside trap all wrong. Klasnach stepped up late. Uh, and that's what allowed Sterling to get in and, and us to give the, the spot kick away. Mm. I mean, the check the check thing is like... Uh, if your goalie saves a penalty, that has to go down as a bonus. You don't give penalties. Every, if you give a penalty away, you're expecting a goal. A, a penalty ought to be a goal, really. I think the only slight worry about it is they're a cumulative thing. Like, do strikers feel more confident against Petr Cech because there's no recent memory of him saving a penalty yeah. kick? If you're facing a a keep, uh, you know, saved like, I don't know, four of his last eight or something. Who, like Man- Manuel Almunia, for example. He yeah. saved lots of penalties. <laughs> yeah, he. I mean, Gomez at Watford, his successor at Watford, saved plenty of penalties too. Yeah. Um, but, like, do you doubt in the striker's mind then if, if they do have that good record? I don't, I don't know. I don't know if there's a... Uh, yeah. Aguero scores a lot of penalties, doesn't Yeah, he? exactly. It's Sergio Aguero, one of the best strikers ever to play in the Premier League. So, you know, I I don't really have the issue there. And to me, like to me, when it's a penalty, um, if it's not a goal, 95% of the time it's a miss. And 5% of the time it's a save. Because... Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, it it should be scored. You're 12 yards out, you have a free shot on goal. If you hit it accurately enough and hard enough, no goalkeeper in the world is going to save it, regardless of how good they are at penalties. So I don't really, you know, I don't really have an issue with, with Czech not saving them. I have a big issue with us giving them away all the fucking time. So that, that's where my um, that's where my gripe lies there. Um, and I don't think that would really enter a goalkeeper or a striker's mind, to be perfectly honest. Oh, good, it's Petr Czech. I'm definitely going to score. If anything, it might make them complacent, given the, <laughs> given the record that he's got. So uh, <laughs> uh, I don't I don't think that's the thing. So look, we we reacted to that by taking off. Um, Coquelin putting on Lacazette mm-hmm. and within what I think about 10 minutes we we got a goal back a nice little move Ramsey played him in and the finish was again like straight through the keeper's legs yeah I think he'd scored seven minutes or something like that before after coming mm. on I mean yeah we should touch briefly on the timing of the second goal and what a kind of uh, killer blow that initially felt because after half time, you know, you're getting at one nil, you're a little bit lucky to get in at one nil, you're hoping to build on that, so yeah. you're two nil down. Really frustrating. Then Arsene Wenger's got to make the change. 
And I mean, what an impact. I mean, Ramsey did well in the build-up, but what I loved about the goal from Lacazette was the way he sorted his feet out before the finish. It it wasn't actually that easy. I mean, you know, it's a chance that I can think of other strikers on our books, maybe Danny Welbeck, for example, struggling to get that, uh, you know, that touch just in front of him so he can fire that shot away. And uh, he just took it very comfortably. And that's what he tends to do in those situations. He's a finisher. I mean, that's what he is. He's a finisher with good good movement in the box. Uh, you know, he's actually, he's actually, you know, having watched him now for the 11 games in the Premier League and whatever else we've seen him in, he's not quite as quick as I thought he might be. Mm. I thought he might be a bit more pacey, but he's not. But he's got sharp movement and good instincts in the box. And that's what he is. He's a finisher. If you give him a chance there... You know, I'd put, you know, of all the strikers we've had in the last little while, I put my hat on him scoring because that's what he does. That's what he's there for. Um, but it's about giving him those chances. So, you know, you do wonder what might have happened if we had started him or if he might have been on the end of something that we could have created in, in the first half, if that would have changed the dynamic. But then we get the third goal. And this one, I, I understand the manager being aggrieved at. Certainly, uh, David Silva was offside, but I think it's possible, uh, as I said in the blog after the game, it's possible to be aggrieved at a wrong offside decision, but also unhappy that the Arsenal players didn't react. And it was the guy that the linesman wasn't putting his flag up. The referee's not going to overrule his linesman in that position. Don't stand there with your hands in the air. You've got to, you know, play the whistle. We all know play the whistle. And, you know, it's it's easy to say maybe in hindsight. But, you know, if you've got that focus, you know, Gary, uh, there, there was time. Silva stopped. Silva, Silva stopped because he, he, he thought he was offside. You know, if we'd been more yeah. alert, if we just kept going, I, I think we could have cleared that. And I think that would have made, you know, that might have made the last... 20 minutes, uh, you know, more interesting. But uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a bad decision by the officials, but it was also poor from the Arsenal players. Yes, yeah, the first thing you learn as a kid, isn't it? Plus yeah. the whistle. I mean, it's mad that we even have to talk about that. But I, I don't know if there was some... If, if, if the almost well, if we stop playing, they'll have to blow. You know, it's kind of that thing of like a, a fake out, but you yeah, you can't operate like that. This ain't a game um, of cards, and, you know? Uh, no, exactly. You can't bluff. I mean, it reminded you of, uh, was it Di Canio and Barthez? Something like that, where Di Canio went through on Barthez and he mm. put his hand up and the guy just went round him and scored. Yeah. I, I mean, the way Jesus put it in, it almost felt like he thought the goal was going to be pulled. You know, it was quite a nonchalant finish in the end. But, yeah, it was offside. It was offside. There's no two ways about that. And I guess I can understand the frustration for Arsenal fans. You know, we saw Alexandre Lacazette have a, a goal mm. disallowed at Stoke, considerably more onside than that one. Um, with the decision having not been given, we yeah. didn't respond to it in, in the best way. And that 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 was the game, really, wasn't it? That killed it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we brought Wilshire and Giroud on, but they did very little. And, you know, to to be to be fair at that point... Uh, at three one, I know we were pushing for, um, we were pushing for for goals, but you know, had it not been for Lauren Koscielny, and again a bit more uh, incision from the Manchester City players when they got into our final third, I think Koscielny there was at least two and maybe three where he was the he was the last guy and he made the interception. Mm. His positioning 
was so good. It gets lost, perhaps, in the fact that we, we got beaten 3-1. But his positioning was so good defensively that he made those interceptions look like like more like bad passes than good defending and good positioning from from Lauren Koscielny. And it was, I think, a fair chunk of of that that Koscielny was really uh, defended those really well. Um, but of course, you know, there's no point, or nobody wants to hear that, or nobody wants to acknowledge that. Uh, you know, when you lose a game three one and. Um, you know, four defeats uh, on the road, four defeats from five away from home. It's difficult to look at those uh, statistics and those results and the lack of points and not feel that there's something very, very wrong. Yeah. I mean, is this the game to draw that conclusion from, though? Because yeah, 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 yeah. It I'll is. be honest with you. It is. It is. I think it is. I think okay, it is. I expected to take anything from this. Yeah, well, you didn't. Yeah, and and that's the thing. That's the thing that really annoyed me about this game um, was the like, oh, we got beaten, but you know, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. And uh, I was listening to second captains today, and Ken Early was saying, you know, what, actually, Arsenal didn't play didn't play that badly, you know, all things considered. And it was that kind of like everyone expected us to go there and get fucking spanked five or six. Um, mm. And you can you, you can understand why people thought that, given how good City were and how uh, dodgy we were defensively, and especially with the the uh, the makeshift back three we had to put out. Um, you know, but that that you know that speaks volumes as well, doesn't it? That okay, we got beaten, but it wasn't as bad as we thought, so we should be happy with that. And I think you know, I'm not happy with that. I'm not happy that we we can't go to Manchester City and compete. Arsene Wenger said it before the game. He said, "This is a chance for us to show that we can compete." And what it was ultimately was an illustration uh, that we can't. We're 11 games into the season. We're 12 points behind Manchester City. And their goal difference after 11 games is 27 better than ours. So I, I hold my hands up and I acknowledge what they're doing is special. It's a bit remarkable. They're doing something that, you know, they're miles ahead of every other team. And I know that we are just, you know, three or four points off second place. And, you know, top four is not out of the question. I'm not ruling us out of top four or anything else. But here we are after 11 games. And there's, you know, there's no chance that Arsenal can challenge for the title. How You can't. How, no, ab- no. Absolutely not. You know. Absolutely not. So we're managing expectations already. You know, I, wrote, I did a piece for ESPN. Basically, we're a cup team. At this point, we're like the the final years of George Graham's reign. We're a cup team. We can't challenge for the league. I think there are other teams in this in this uh, in this division who can and will get closer to Manchester City than we will because they're they're better. They're more organised. But you can't mm. display these weaknesses away from home, time and time and time and time again, and look to be title contenders and you know that's that's the disappointing thing for me is like you know okay um this is a game where we're we're underdogs i get it we're not favorites to beat a manchester city team and maybe there was a little bit of you know poor officiating involved but uh, by the same token you couldn't you couldn't look objectively at those two teams and say that we are close in quality to what manchester city do and and how they do it no, you couldn't. And and I have to say that is probably what I found most 
difficult about Sunday was just seeing the the type of football that City were able to play and what it how it made me reflect on the fact that Arsenal used to be the team in the Premier League who other fans wanted to watch, who neutrals wanted to watch, who everybody wanted to watch because mm. we played that kind of flowing attacking football. We were the ones, you know, outscoring opposition, hammering the opposition and you know, now we aspire to be like Manchester City. And that's, we've fallen some way. And it's because the teams around us, in my opinion, have improved significantly. And we have, at best, stood still. At best, in reality, we've regressed. Yeah, my, my big worry yeah. on this is that, you know, last season when it became apparent that the team couldn't challenge for the title, we we, we went on that... We went on that really poor run between the end of January and the end of April. You'll remember where where things did not go Mm. well and the team lost points and lost games and we heard, well, they wanted it more than us and all that kind of stuff. But that came in January and and went on for a few months. And I wonder what we're going to be like in the league now, knowing that the Premier League is, is completely out of our reach. If we can refocus and say, okay, the league is about getting into the top four, then maybe we've got a chance to pull things together. But my feeling is that the, the players last season were disillusioned by the fact that they couldn't get it together or that the manager couldn't get it together to, to challenge for the, for the title after what had happened the season before at Leicester. I feel like there's a psychological issue there that if you know you're not you're not good enough to win the title, it has an effect on how you play in that particular competition. Which is why when it of came course. yeah, yeah, it's why when it comes to the FA Cup, look at what we did in the FA Cup. We beat Manchester City in the semi-final, we beat Chelsea in the final. Why? Because the players knew that it was doable, it was winnable in that in that kind of knockout situation. And I really have a worry that if if he can't get on top of this and he needs to get on top of this and the, the, the North London derby, I think, is a key game for us this season. I know it's after the interlull, but if we can if we can get a result against Tottenham, if, actually, if we can beat Tottenham in the North London derby when we return from this interlull, then I think there's a chance that we can just keep going and maintain and get get focused for a top four. But if we can't get it together to beat them or we lose to them at home, then I have real, real worries about the way we're going to perform in the league. Mm. Yeah, me too. I share those worries. I mean, but my only kind of caveat I would offer here is that I would be really surprised if there was anybody in that Arsenal squad who really believed prior to the Manchester City game that we could win the title. Sure, I just, right? yeah. I just can't see that. No, I get, I get it, I get it. But like even just going there and getting a draw just gives you that little bit more belief that maybe you can you can just keep going and who knows you know, what might happen. You know, I, I just sure. think the way they played... The greater the distance, I think the harder it is to motivate yourself. I mean, 38 games is a hell of a slog when you're like, well, I I can't win the big prize at the end. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's, it's It must be demoralising must for the be, players. I mean, I, yeah. I, you know, I, I it's demoralising for us. It must be demoralising for the players. And to, for many of those players who played under Arsene Wenger for so many years, who are, you know, they, they, they've seen him do this in the transfer market, do that in the transfer market, do the other in the transfer market, do this with the formation, you know, 
it doesn't make that much difference one way or the other. We are what we are, and we're you know top four or five, maybe you know. But it, we're we're not gonna we're not gonna do it. We're not gonna challenge for the league properly. We couldn't even do it when every other fucking team fell apart. With Chelsea were gone, Tottenham were gone. Well, Tottenham were there. Sorry, that's wrong. But Liverpool were gone. United were gone. City were gone. We couldn't do it then. So I mean, I mean I, is I, it about, I, go on. Is it about the manager or somebody at the club or the playing staff being absolutely clear? on maybe how important it is for this team to make the top four this year. Because I think it really is. I mean, when you look at the job that might need to be done next summer in terms of the players that might need replacing, having Champions League football both financially and in terms of being an attractive proposition to other top players, I I think is of paramount importance. Mm. Do you not think that if... If the club, rather than talking about wanting to win the title, which is which is just talk, to be honest, at the moment. I mean, that's all, all that's been since the summer. That's been nothing more than that. It's barely worth the paper it's written on. Do you not think that saying, look, if Arsene Wenger were to come out and say, we have to go for the top four today, it is, this season, it is absolutely mm. everything that we need. We, we must focus on that. Do you think the, the squad could recalibrate, the fans could recalibrate and get behind that as a goal because that despite all our flaws is actually still achievable yeah I agree with you it is achievable with the talent in the squad with the players we have top four is achievable but it's about convincing those players that that's something to go for like can you convince Ozil and Sanchez yeah like do do Ozil and Sanchez you know do they care if they're going to be off next season does it matter to them if Arsenal finish in the top four I know they're professional. I'm not trying to scapegoat them either. I'm just saying that that's a difficult thing to do. Like if they've still Mm -hmm. got a year left on their contract and you say to them, you are staying next season, regardless of what happens. So you better do your fucking best to finish us in the top four. I mean, Alexis Sanchez last season got 30 goals and 14 assists and we still finished fifth. I know they weren't all in the Premier League, but you know, this, this is the difficulty that he has. I think you're right, though, to say that it is hugely important. It is really, really important for this team to finish in the top four because, you know, whatever way we want to rebuild, uh, you know, doing it from that position is going to be uh, going to be will make the job easier depending on who's who is doing that job. But, you know, I just I do have worries. But at the same time, I think it would be fair to say. You know, when you look at the when you look at the table, um, you know we're in sixth position. We've got 19 points. Uh, you know, Chelsea are in fourth on 22. Manchester United, Tottenham, you know, on 23. You know, you beat Tottenham in the North London derby. It's 22 points to 23. Maybe things, you know, you change the dynamic, but you've got to do something to change the dynamic. And I think he's got big decisions to make. I think he's got some decisions to make with regards to those two players, with, with, with Sanchez and Ozil. I'm not sure he can use them both in, 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 uh, in, in big games. I'm not sure he can use them both. In this kind of game. Yeah, whether it's at home or away. I don't think he can, I don't think he can use them both. He's got to choose. And that, you know, that's a difficult thing. And I don't dispute that that's a difficult thing. But when you look at the way that, you know, he talked about Ozil before the game. He said, you know, he's very fit and, you know, he's going to be an important player for us. And he didn't do it. 
again, away from home in a big game. And it's not all his fault. I don't want to say that. It is not all his fault. It's a team failing. You know, it's a it's a it's an issue with the team. And I don't think yeah. Ozil is the guy who's going to like grab everybody by the bootstraps and and uh, you know and haul them up. But if there's a re- you know if if Ozil can't do it game after game after game in a big game away from home, why not? What is the reason? Is it because he doesn't want to? I don't believe that. I believe he wants to. I believe he wants to perform at the highest level. But it's a team issue. The team is the team setup means that he can't in many ways. You know, so I think he's got some big decisions to make. It was it was interesting, wasn't it? I think Alexis Sanchez took a lot of criticism from the Arsenal fans I saw on, on my social media. I think presumably that performance was kind of associated with the transfer link with City in the yeah. summer and people yeah. kind of accusing him of, I don't know, I don't know what, some sort of degree of unprofessionalism. I thought that that kind of clouded Ozil's performance a bit. I thought Ozil was sort of as ineffective as Sanchez, really. Mm. But it was just less talked about. I mean, yeah. neither of them... If Arsene Wenger rejigged his team and dropped Lacazette to try and bring the best out of those two, uh, that did not pay off. Yeah, yeah, it didn't. It didn't. It was, uh, it was a decision that didn't work. You know, I think if you've got those two, you've got two creative players like that, I think what you need to do is you need to play Lacazette in front of them because that then gives them the ammunition or gives them the target for their creativity. Whereas Alexis, what did he do? He dropped deep and who had he got to pass to? Ozil, again, he didn't have the, he didn't have the outlet. So that's why I thought the Lacazette decision was so, so strange, to be perfectly honest. Um, you know, you've got two really creative players behind a, a striker who's got great movement and great finishing ability. And we just didn't use it. So, um, so there you go. Anyway. Anyway. Anyway, there we go. Well, I mean, into the interlull we go. <laughs> Hurrah, interlulls. They're great fun. Uh, I love those. Okay, well, look, we've waffled for uh, about 45 minutes, so we're going to take a break. We're going to come back in part two with your questions right after this. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. 
Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is the part of the show where we answer the questions that you send to us on Twitter, at GunnarBlog and at ArsBlog, and also on the ArsBlog Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash the ArsBlog. James, before we get into the questions, I'm just going to have like a little, uh, I'm going to have a drink of bourbon here. So just bear with me. Oh, yeah. Mmm. Mmm. Ooh, that, that burns so good. Um, <laughs> all right, well, look, here here we go. Here we go with questions, and I'm going to get on with the questions first. Uh, there have been a number which are all like the same, which is uh, Darren, who's at Darren Arsenal 1, says, can anything cheer us up at this stage? Rob Ross, who's at Gooner1945, says, is there any hope? And Dr. Joe Ward, who's at Joseph A. Ward underscore, says, a short and depressing one. However, I feel it's a fair one. Is there anything at all for Arsenal fans to look forward to going forward? Oh, dear. We haven't started with a particularly easy one. I mean, something to look forward to. We were just talking about in the break there, the the release of the film 89. Why yeah. not <laughs> relive the past? <laughs> exactly. Let's keep living in the past because, like, that's that's where all the best stuff has happened. You know, let's ignore all the bad yeah. stuff that happened in the past. You know, all those years where we didn't win things, forget about those. All those games that we lost in the past, forget about those. All those seasons where we weren't competing for the title, forget about those. Let's just concentrate on the ones where we won stuff. Uh, it's like kind of a, it's kind of like Back to the Future, sort of. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But without hoverboards. Constantly... <laughs> Reminisce about the good old days without uh, c- contemplating what might, the future might hold. Um, in seriousness, I mean, I suppose looking back, the, the only thing that tells you is that these things do tend to move in cycles. And I mean, you compared us uh, to the, the the later George Graham teams. You know, we're sort of a cup side now. Well, look, things came round again and, you know, we challenged for the league title later in that decade and indeed won the double in 1998. And Arsenal are a big enough club that I do think you can have some confidence, can't you, that our time will come. It just happens that at the moment we are caught in a period where we are not at that that cutting edge, at that elite competitive edge of, of the game. Yeah. But... That's you know that's part of the, the 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 experience. I'm not going to say part of the fun of supporting a team over the longer term. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I think what the um, I think uh, what, what what the questions show is that there is a feeling of familiarity to uh, to this one. You know, familiarity that yeah. we've we've been here before. We've we've kind of seen it before and. So yeah, that that you know the whole <laughs> the whole Groundhog Day kind of thing was yeah. going on. Um, yeah, is there hope? Look, of course you can't. I oh, God, is there? Yes, yes, there has to be. There has to be because if there isn't, then then fuck. Um, look, I, you know what I think for this season in particular, and maybe people won't like it. But I think we should go and try and win the Europa League. You know, I think well, we I think that should be our focus. 
at this point. You know, I, I, we talked about the top four, and I think we can balance it. I think we can balance the Europa League with a top four push. But I think when it comes to the crunch of this particular season, if we have to kind of prioritize one over the other, prioritizing top four over winning a a European trophy, I think we've got to go for the trophy. We haven't won a European trophy since 1994. We don't have too many European trophies in our cabinet. And I think there's enough talent in this squad. And I think, you know, if we if we do have issues with motivation in the league because there's no way we can win it, then you've got to... It's not difficult to convince these players that they could go on a good run in the Europa League and win that, win that trophy. And that would be something. That would be really something for the club and for the players and for the manager. So that's where I think we should go. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking just the same, you know, when you were talking about us being a good cup team and we were also talking about the importance of securing Champions League football, you know, one kind of feeds into the other. If we if we can win the Europa League, it takes us into the Champions League. Manchester yeah. United, of course, benefited from that last season. I mean, the only concern I have really is the quality of some of the teams who look like they might be dropping into the Europa League. It's not going to be... It's not going to be a walk in the park. Let's put no. it like that if we want to go all the way. No, it's not. But then it shouldn't be either. But, you know, if we are, you know, we're the Arsenal at the end of the day. We've 20-odd years in the Champions League. We've got really good players. We've got two, you know, supposedly world-class stars in, in Sanchez and Ozil. You know, come on. Let's have a go at this. And mm. if there are some difficult teams along the way, then, you know, we can do it. And we've shown in the past that we can do it in cup competitions. You know, every year that we've won the FA Cup in the three FA Cup years, we've beaten big teams on the way to winning those finals. I think in the first year we beat Tottenham, Everton, Liverpool. Second year, I can't fucking remember who the hell we played in the, in, in the, uh, in the knockout rounds. But, you know, last year, as I said, we've beaten... Um, We've beaten Manchester City and we beat Chelsea. I'm going to have to look and see in that second year, see who we beat in the uh, on the way to the final. There must have been some good teams. Let's see. What was our path to the FA Cup? Okay, we beat Hull, Brighton, Middlesbrough, Manchester United, Reading. Uh, Reading, James, we fucking somehow beat Reading. We did. It was a miracle. That is a miracle. It is a miracle. But, you know, we've beaten, mean, it, we've beaten them all on the way. All those big teams, we've beaten them all on the way to winning trophies because the players know that this is a chance of a trophy. And I see the same issue in the in the Europa League. So let's have a go. Yeah. I mean, look, that's something... It's something new, isn't it? You talk about the idea of this season feeling like Groundhog Day. It's something novel. It's a piece of silverware. I, it would be a hell of a, a weekend in Lyon if we were to get there. Mm. So I, I would love that to happen. I would really love it to happen. Yeah. I, mean, I say weekend, I think the film might actually be on a Wednesday, so I might have got that wrong. Oh, really? <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, that's a blow, isn't it? Well, but we'll see, we'll see. Okay, okay. We'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Yes, indeed. Yeah, let's not worry too much. Um, I've got a question. It's not going to cheer anybody up sadly because it's about uh, Santi Cazorla it's from uh, Thomas Underwood oh, on Facebook oh. yeah and he, he says with regards to Cazorla's foot for it to need eight surgeries are Arsenal's medical team or recommended doctors at fault as something may have gone wrong on a more simple procedure that caused the infection and worsened it is it a reflection on the club and previous injury issues or is it just terrible bad luck for Cazorla uh, 
I think it's it's more just terrible bad luck, to be honest. Uh, That's my impression, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the club don't do the surgeries. They would recommend him to a specialist who would then carry out that particular surgery. I think, you know, if you want to go back, back, back and say, you know, could we have managed him better at a time where he was dealing with this Achilles injury, then yes, maybe we could. But when you look at the injury that we saw the detail of last week with the, you know, the open wound where you could see his tendon, which was like, you know, very distressing. You look at the the state of his ankle right now with the, you know, the, the half tattoo on it because he had a skin graft off his arm. You know, I think it's possible even with the best surgeons, even with the best uh, medical care for people to pick up infections in hospital. We know that that can happen. Um, so I think he's just been really, really unlucky. Uh, and to be perfectly honest, as hard as he's working and as determined as he is, the you know, you, the picture of the ankle was just unbelievable, wasn't it? You're going, mm, well, really fuck. Shocking. Fuck. Like... How could somebody with an ankle like that play professional football again? That that's uh, it seems mad to me. It seems yeah. absurd. I mean, Santi Gazzola loves he loves football. I mean, and that's you know, and he loves what he does. And I th- I think he really does love playing for Arsenal. He must do to be contemplating making a comeback with his ankle in that condition. Yeah. I mean, I have to say, as someone who has a lot of affection for the guy, when you're reading him saying. You know, I've been told I'm lucky to be able to walk and play in the garden with my kids and things like that. You know, you sort of want to—is it—is it worth it for him at this stage in his career to push himself quite so far? But that's completely his call, and and you know, I respect his decision to do that. And I think the club have done the right thing, standing by him through that. Um, yeah, yeah, I think that's a really important thing as well, isn't it? Because uh, yeah, I don't know if they quite knew the full extent of how bad his injury was at that point, but. You know, I think for someone like Azorla, who's given us a lot in the years that he's been here, you you know, if you're facing down the barrel of a bad injury and you've got no hope of ever playing again or you've got no club, I think that's, you know, I think that's that, that would make it like 500% more difficult. And, you know, for Arsenal to show, uh, to back him in that way, at least give him that carrot, that he can work towards. I'm not saying he's a donkey. I'm just saying, you know, the the, the carrot and the stick kind of thing. Mm. You know, I think that's I think that's an important part of it. And it might only be, you know, for six months if it's even that. I don't think it'll be anything. I think uh, I think I'd be really surprised if we ever saw Santi in an Arsenal shirt again. And that's that's such a shame. But uh, you know, I think it's the right thing to do for a football club because you know players go out, they get hurt, they get hurt, they get hurt playing in your shirt. They're wearing the Arsenal colours. They don't they don't. Uh, injure themselves deliberately just so they can sit around and pick up a paycheck you know so I think it's I think it was the right thing to do yeah I mean if there was any kind of sliver of hope I think from anybody that Cazorla could somehow be the man to rescue this midfield I think you know you don't have to be a doctor to look at that ankle and think that's not going to be Ow. That's not going to be something that's plausible. Get a kick on way. that. Fucking hell. Jesus. I mean, that so. would be agonizing, to be honest. And scar tissue takes so long to heal. It's so painful afterwards. And let's remember that football is full of absolute cunts who would be quite happy to give him a kick there just to put him out of the game. 
So, mm-hmm. yeah. Poor Santi. It's a shame for Santi, isn't it? It's yeah. A shame. Yeah, it really is. It really is. Um, whose question is it? My question, yours? It's your question, I think. Is it, though? Oh, you just asked yeah, the Cazorla I, one, didn't you? I just asked you about Santi. Yeah, you yeah. did. Okay, we just finished answering that. Enjoying that whiskey over there? Yeah, yeah, I am. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very tired as well now. I'm beginning to feel like the... You're do, yeah, I have to say, you've done very well. I'm sure everybody appreciates... Being awake for about f- 48 hours at this stage. Imagine if you fell asleep on the podcast live. <laughs> to be talking to myself. Um, that would be all done. Um, okay, here's here's, uh, here's S. Marquez, who is uh, at Chicago underscore Gooner, and he says, thoughts on Nabil Fakir? Lacazette played with him. Reunite duo? Reunite duo! What do you think? Do we reunite I mean, the duo? I always remember, I think it was at one of the live Ask Cast Extras, somebody in the audience asked uh, a question about Lacazette and I remember Philippe Claire responding and saying he didn't necessarily know at that stage if Lacazette was of the requisite quality to play for Arsenal yeah. but he was absolutely convinced that Fekir was and that he was uh, if anything the guy to watch at Lyon uh, um, he does seem to be having an, an excellent season and he seems to have assumed a lot of responsibility since uh, Lacazette's departure I think he's the club captain there now and I think he's scored I think he scored something like 11 goals, uh, 12 goals in 15 appearances in all competitions it is, mm. so not too shabby. Um, yeah, why not? Why not, frankly? I mean, Arsenal are going to need uh, players to replace probably Alexis and probably Ozil next summer. Maybe they won't be able to buy players right from the top, top shelf, so someone who's uh, on the way up feels more plausible. He's still only 24, Fekir. Uh, he's entering the best period of his career. Could make sense, couldn't it? Especially given that he's already got an understanding mm. with Lacazette. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I like it. I like the idea of it. I like the idea of Thomas Lamar in January as well. I like the idea of Fekir because, you know, it just reminds me of Father Jack from uh, from <laughs> Father Ted. <laughs> Fekir! Yeah, true. Fekir! Um... <laughs> But also, I kind of have this thing, like, this feeling deep down that doesn't really fucking matter <laughs> who we buy. Yeah. Uh, I'm from who and when we buy them or how much we pay for them. That I just, It just doesn't matter until the other thing changes, until the manager changes. That's, that's the part of it that, uh, you know, we, we bought Sanchez, we bought Ozil. Mm. <laughs> didn't change very much. I mean, I know we won the FA Cups, um, you know, and I'm in no way downplaying the FA Cup triumphs. I don't do that. I enjoy them. I don't uh, hold any truck with anyone who dismisses them as not real trophies or anything like that. But when it comes to the Premier League, they didn't make any difference. So why would these two? Well, look, on that note, let's ask you this uh, hypothetical from Hale Bleary, who's at Paul Govind on Twitter. Uh, and Paul asks, would you trade our three recent FA Cups to be in the position that Spurs as a club are in now? <laughs> would you trade three FA Cups to be cunts? No, <laughs> I definitely wouldn't. I, I somehow thought it might go that way. <laughs> yeah. You know, look, uh, I, I, I can see, you know, the, the like they're a good team. 
They are a good team, yeah. and it's unpleasant to say and it's unpleasant to acknowledge it, but but they are. They're a good team. They're well organized. They're a team from whom the manager gets more than the sum of their parts. You know, he makes mm. he makes decent players look very good players. Um, and they've won fucking nothing, and I don't yeah. think they'll win anything. <laughs> I don't think Sorry, I just I, I still enjoy hearing that. Always. Yeah. I and I don't think they'll win anything this season. You know, I don't see them winning the Premier League. I don't see them winning the Champions League. And I know Pochettino said something last week, well, we want real trophies. We don't want, you know, cups or whatever. But, you know, fucking wind your neck in and remember who you are and what your fucking history is. Um, you know, I, 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 I understand his desire to like state the big ambition, but they're not good enough, I don't think, to beat Manchester City. And I think there's you know a few teams in Europe that will will beat them um, in the Champions League. So, would I trade those three FA Cups to be where Tottenham are now? No, but I would like for us to have the kind of manager who can do for for our team and for our players what Pochettino is doing for them, if that's fair. Oh, I agree wholeheartedly on that front. No, I wouldn't swap the silverware, though. And, uh, I, I, you know, I, I am enjoying that for all the praise of Spurs and Pochettino, the, it, it's causing their lack of trophies to be brought up all the more frequently. And long may it continue. Yes, yes. Okay, all right, cool. Well, I have a question here from... Uh, Jazz Tahara, who's at Jazz underscore Tahara. And he said, Lee Dixon slated the pressing game that we attempted and made points about why we were inconsistent. What were your thoughts? Mm. Did you see that Lee Dixon uh, clip? It I was on BBC. Actually. Did you see it? I did see it. I did see it. And in many ways, Lee Dixon reminded me of Kenny Rogers. <laughs> please, uh, please expand. Okay, well, Lee Dixon was saying, look, if you're going to play a pressing game, you need to be organized, right? Mm. You need to know when's the good time to press. And when you press, you've all got to press together. It can't just be one cunt up there on his own pressing and nobody else banking him up. But he also mm. said, you've got to know when not to press. That's also part of it. He can't press all the time because you just run out of gas. So he's a bit like yeah. Kenny Rogers with the gambler. You've got to know when to hold him and know when to fold him. Know when to walk away and know when to run. So that's my thinking on that whole thing is that Lee Dixon is Kenny Rogers, and at some point he's going to do Islands in the Stream with Dolly Parton, and we'll probably win the league at that point. I mean, I think that it would be better if Kenny Rogers was doing all the... Kenny all the Rogers punishment. for manager, is that Kyle, what you're saying? middleman. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Kenny Rogers. Kenny Rogers. <laughs> Straight into manager Kenny Rogers, yeah? yeah. He knows when to hold, when to run away, you know... It makes perfect sense. Mm. He is the master he, uh, of the pressing game. Kenny Rogers invented pressing. 
Exactly. And also, you know, the, what's the next two lines? You never count your money when you're sitting at the table. There'll be time enough for counting when the dealing's done. He's not going to sit on the £100 million war chest. He'll be out there spending it, getting Fucking the deals right. done. Exactly. None of this parsimonious bullshit that we've had to put up with for years. Just get it out there, spend the fucking money, and if it all goes wrong, you just run. Leg it. That's the whole point. <laughs> I can't believe the whole time we've been debating all these names and the success of Trust exactly. was right under our nose. Guardiola, pff, Klopp, pff, Ancelotti, pff. it should be Kenny Rogers. <laughs> Lee Dixon did his badges with Kenny Rogers. That's the thing. That's where he's learnt all this stuff. <laughs> Um, well, I mean, this is a, an attempt, seeing as the mood's quite uh, jovial, Misha Watson on Twitter says, we're only four points away from second after a really tricky run of away fixtures. Is this season going better than we think? <laughs> Look, you know, this is why I think this is why I think it comes down to the away game or the Spurs game, the away game. I think it comes down to the Spurs game. Win that Spurs game and you you kind of, you've got something to re-energize things. It's not going as badly as we think, clearly, because, you know, we had that terrible start. Then, you know, everyone's going, oh, Liverpool, this Liverpool, they're quite good. Look at the way they demolished Arsenal. And then they fucking, they were shite. And then we overtook mm-hmm. them. Now maybe we're level on points with them or something. I don't know. I don't fucking know. We are level. We're level, yeah. yeah. But like, you know. And Burnley, let's not and forget Burnley, Burnley. of course. Good old Burnley. Um, so, yeah, I... Is it going better than we think? No, but it's maybe not going as badly as we think. And there is room to correct some of the bad mistakes that we've made and some of the results that we've had. But unless we start doing things away from home, then I think we're going to continue to have problems. And I think it's it's absolutely crucial that we that we beat Tottenham. Like, okay, it's super, super, mega, hyper, enormous, crucial that we don't lose to them. But I still think it's very important and very crucial that we beat them. Because if we do, then you sort of, you do re-energize things. You, you get some belief back and you say, look, we, look, we beat those cunts. You know, they're really good and we beat them and maybe they'll have a little blip now and we can go on from here and we can, we're only a point behind them and if they draw their next game and we win our next game, then we're ahead of them and then like, fuck those guys. You know, that's that's where I think it is. Uh, but I think I think so much of where we are and how we perceive this club and this, this team is dependent on the next game, you know? It, we lurch from game to game with, you know, our hearts in our mouths, our arses in our pants. Where else would your arse be? That's the best place for your arse, in fairness. Yeah, you ideally... You, yeah, that's, you that's kind of where you want... That's, that's where you want your arse, in your pants, yeah. at all times. Um, but that's what I mean. You know, there's just... So much instability that I think, uh, you know, we're, this is what the season is going to be. That all all the all the bad things are going to be magnified to a large extent, and then you know when the good things happen, we go, well, yeah, that's what we want to happen. So you know, let's just get on with it. But that we that, just convince the squad that it's a cup game against yeah. Spurs. Yeah, that's the trick. That's it. That's it. Um, okay, I've got one more because I think we need to call it quits because I really. I really feel like I need to sleep. So this one comes <laughs> from uh, Killian Mac uh, Breda on Facebook. 
I was thinking of the on thing. On the internet. On the internet. <laughs> incident on, on the, the internet. internet. I was thinking of the thing that, the thing that is not Twitter. And yeah. he says, why do I feel sorry for old dogs, but not <laughs> old people? <laughs> hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I, <laughs> what about an old man with an old dog? Oh, that's the worst. Yeah. Let me ask yeah, you a question. Yeah. You know, um, we we have an issue, and I'm not I'm not making light of it in any way. We have an issue in in Ireland and in Dublin with homelessness. And there are a lot of homeless people um, on the streets, and it's very difficult to see at times. You know, if you're walking around town, it is it's hard to see, and you 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 want to try and give everybody a euro or two euro or whatever it is. But when I see a homeless person with a dog, I'm like, oh, oh yeah. fuck. Like, I really want to help them. I, I, like, I really, really want to help the others, but I really, really, really want to help the one with the dog. And yeah. is that just because uh, I love dogs or because I love people without dogs less? I don't, you know. I, I'm the same. But, you know, I, I've kind of fallen foul of this before because... You know, around where I live, I saw a certain homeless guy with a dog. I gave him money. I came back the next day in a different part of town. Different homeless guy, same dog. They're uh, on to no, us. No, come Andrew. on, hang on. No, no. How do you know it was the same dog? Would you, was 100% it? it's the same dog. It's a, it's a ruse. They're on to us. No the way. The dog's doing the rounds. No, yeah. come on. Come on. That's not. That can't be the case. Like but the listen, exact I, same I think, dog. How do you know? Did he have like a foldy ear or the like what? Like the exact same patch on with his the eye? dog. <laughs> how did you know? I know the dog. I knew him by scent. I was up <laughs> my hands and knees sniffing at him. I knew that dog. But the thing is that I actually, you know, I applaud the ingenuity of that, and I think it, you know, it te- teaches me a lesson. I should be given. I should be giving to all these homeless people. They're all deserving of my help. At the end of the day, the dog's not getting the money directly. So why am I more inclined to give money to the homeless person with the dog? They're not buying toys and treats with it, are they? No. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, there's got to be... I don't be... know either. I, yeah, there was a guy in... The answer to this is to carry dog food with you at all times. Mm. That's the answer. It is, it is. I mean, there was a guy uh, in Melbourne... Oh, no, Sydney, actually who are sitting there um, and they've homeless people in Sydney, uh, you know, as they do in every big city. And he had a, he had a lovely dog with him. So I had to stop and like give him some money and, you know, have a rub of the dog. And then you're going, Oh Mm. God damn. What about the homeless people that can't afford dogs? That's true. This is awful. It's hard to look after a dog. It it is hard. It's a commitment to look after a dog. But what about all these fucking motherfuckers avoiding their taxes Bono with his fucking Lithuanian supermarket. Did you ever hear the like? And there's dogs out there without a roof over their head. Home, there's homeless dogs too. The local pound is like bound to be full of unwanted dogs. I don't know. We're homeless not... dogs, old dogs. Uh, do you remember the bit of the podcast when we tried to end on a cheerful note? Do you... <laughs> yeah, I do remember that bit. Um... Seems somewhere ago. Uh, okay. What are we going to do about all these dogs? I don't know. I don't know. But what I am going to do to uh, cheer everybody up is I will uh, play us out with a little bit of Kenny Rogers. How about that? Our new manager. Uh, 
Oh yes, please. All right. You can see the team, the team walking out on the pitch to it as well. All right. Well, look, uh, we will uh, we will be back next week with an interlull Arscast extra. There might be something on Friday. It all depends on what I can get done from my sleep or lack of sleep. But I'll I'll do my best to to get something for you on Friday. And uh, well, look, we'll leave you with our, our our next manager, Mr. Kenneth Rogers. We'll catch you on the next one. Take it away, Kenny. Bye bye. On a warm summer's eve. On a train bound for nowhere I met up with a gambler We were both too tired to sleep So we took turns of staring Out the window at the darkness The boredom overtook us And he began to speak He said, son, I've made a life Out of reading people's faces And knowing what the cards were By the way they held their eyes So if you don't mind my saying I can see you're out of aces For a taste of your whiskey I'll give you some advice So I handed him my bottle And he drank down my last swallow Then he bombed a cigarette And asked me for a light And the night got deathly quiet Face lost all expression Said if you're gonna play the game Boy, you gotta learn to play it right You got to know when to hold them Know when to fold them Know when to walk away And know when to run You never count your money When you're sitting at the table There'll be time enough for counting When the dealing's done 